Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. This next episode broke a record for the number of guests on the Contracting Experience podcast at one time. We sit down with Air Force Contracting's top leaders to discuss their outlook on Major General Holt's contracting flight plan and provide additional insight into how the four lines of effort will be executed. We also have a little fun talking craziest acquisitions and what our Air Force leaders wish they would have known when they started out in contracting. The Air Force leaders featured in this episode are as follows. Major General Cameron Holt, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Contracting, Office of the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition, Technology, and Logistics. Mr. Scott Kaiser, Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary of Contracting for Headquarters U.S. Air Force. Mr. Tom Robinson, Director of Contracts for Air Force Lifecycle Management Center. Ms. Heidi Bullock, Air Force Materiel Command Director of Contracts. Ms. Renee Richardson, sitting in for Brigadier General Ali Trevino, who is the commander of the Air Force Installation Contracting Agency. Mr. David Block, Acting Director of Contracting for Space and Missile Systems Center. Unable to join us due to travel issues was Mr. Tony Bauman, Air Force Sustainment Center Director of Contracting, Colonel Tom Ficklin, Acting Director of Contracting for Rapid Capabilities Office, and Chief Master Sergeant Larry Conger, Chief Enlisted Policy for SAF AQC. Thank you all for, for coming today. So my first question I'm going to address to General Holt. Um, since you arrived at SAF AQC, uh, we began hearing new terms like executive steering group and board of directors. Can you explain what these groups are, who is on them, and the goals for establishing teams of experienced Air Force contracting leaders? Yeah, absolutely, Amber. Thanks. Good question. Um, I had three primary objectives in mind for setting up a governance structure for Air Force contracting that I call the Air Force Contracting Board of Directors. The first objective was really transparency. I felt like we needed to improve the transparency of decision making in Air Force contracting uh, so that we don't just rely upon one staff in the Pentagon uh, to both understand the environment uh, and also represent our people in making decisions on policy questions and personnel issues that affect everybody in Air Force contracting. The next ob objective I had was to improve the representation of the people in contracting. Uh, I think we, we, do, we did have forums in the past uh, where there was a representation, certainly the Air Force contracting development team is one of the best development teams out there and has been for years. However, on the decision-making side, I felt like it, there was instability uh, with the representation uh, for, for everybody in Air Force contracting. And so this is a way to be very overt about the idea that whoever sits in that room as a director on the board of directors has a responsibility to represent those people that they have been entrusted with. Uh, and so I think if we raise the rent on, on the representation aspect of what we do at the very senior levels, I think that's the right answer. And the last thing was I wanted to simplify the understanding of what it means to sit in one of those chairs as a leader in Air Force contracting. 
You know, I, I mentor a lot of folks, uh, both civilians and military. And one common thread uh, that I've seen in that mentoring is that when I ask uh, people to define for me what their plan is for the future of their career in Air Force contracting, invariably, as you get out towards uh, GS-15 or SES or on the military side, colonel or general officer, they really have no idea what to put down uh, because those positions are so opaque and they're not really sure where to place them. And so as we simplify the, la the layers of contracting authority in our policy, I saw an opportunity to also simplify uh, and, and give more gravitas and credit to the people who sit in those chairs uh, so that our young folks, <coughs> as they come in the door, they, they uh, can realize that at the end of their career, they should seek to sit in one of those chairs as the leaders of Air Force contracting. And so that, that was my uh, effort. The name of, uh, of calling it a board of directors is really to emphasize our role as business leaders for the United States Air Force. Mr. Kaiser, the uh, mission-focused business leadership is really um, the foundation for uh, General Holt's strategic plan that's coming out. So can you talk about what mission-focused business leadership means to you? Sure, Amber. Um, thanks for asking. Uh, the mission-focused business leadership, um, not to be too contrite, but it's, it's, it's almost self-explanatory. The, the mission of the United States Air Force is to fly, fight, and win in mm -hmm. air, space, and cyberspace. And to that end, that is exactly the mission of, of Air Force contracting as well. And as is most contract Air Force contracting professionals have already read the National Defense Strategy that came out in December of 2017, we, we understand the threat of China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and terrorist organizations around the globe. And to that end, contracting has a direct role in each of the three lines of the National Defense Strategy to build a more lethal force by increasing lethality and readiness, strengthening alliances, and attracting new partners. And some of those new partners we attract may be bringing in new contractors and reaching out to new small up-and-coming businesses that we have not uh, have not been traditional contractors with the United States Air Force. Mm -hmm. And also to reform DOD business practices for greater performance and affordability. And to that end, many of the things we'll talk about today in terms of lines of effort are to increase our, our business practices, the performance thereof. And so, quite frankly, for all of us, and talk about mission-focused business leadership, being solely focused on the mission, if you're, if you're locked in on that, then you should have no trouble at the end of the day asking yourself a, a very simple question, which is, what did I do today to maintain, sustain, and increase America's military strength, and hence our freedom? So now we're going to get to those lines of effort uh, from the strategic flight plan. Uh, Mr. Robinson, what line of effort are you leading, and what initiatives within that effort will your organization benefit from? So thanks, Amber. So I'm in charge of the line of effort one. I'm the champion of it. It's build mission-focused business leaders. I, I think the beauty of this line of effort is we don't really have to build from scratch. There are a lot of great things that are happening in our Air Force, but they're in uh, various pockets. So a lot of it is just gathering the things together and making sure that we leverage across our enterprise. So there's three basic objectives under it. To, one, to attract, assess, and retain key talent 
When I think of that, um, we have pockets in the Air Force that have trouble attracting. Um, we have our normal military system where we bring in um, through OTS or through our enlisted. On the civilian side, um, some places have an easy time of getting folks. In other places, it's very difficult. So how do we attract the best? How do we attract the smartest, best business leaders? How do we assess? How do we look at them and, um, as they develop across their career as to whether they're effective or not? And then the one near and dear to my heart is uh, retaining key talent. Uh, because I will tell you, Air Force contracting, we are the best at training, um, and, and yet we still have gaps. Uh, but we lose our folks at some very critical times. And so how do we retain them? How do we, what incentives could we get for our folks to stay? What type of jobs, what types of, of uh, uh, different challenges could we give them in order for them to stay? So retaining key talent is important. Reimagining training and cultural from initial skills through executive level. I, I will tell you what, we do a great job all the way up to level three in contracting, both on the civilian and military side. Um, but we have a lot of gaps after that. I, I think the best example I can give is my last contract in training was in 1992. 26 years ago, I got level, level three. That's a huge gap. So what, what we're trying to develop with this one is let's look across the spectrum. If we're to negotiate with CFOs of the, the businesses like Lockheed's and the Bowens, we need to get the training that is, uh, lines up with theirs. And so our gap is really after level three, where do we go from there? We do have some things that we're working on, uh, for example, advanced negotiation workshop, which is like a master's level. But we need to figure out what we're going to do between there and then to get to the Ph.D. level. And so that we can get it uh, when you get to the level where you're a senior contracting official, um, you have the, the, the requisite training that industry has. And then finally, the third objective is to leverage and formalize key strategic external partnerships. Again, it's not like we don't have partnerships. We have partnerships all over the place with DAU, DLA, DCMA, um, internally to, to different Air Force bases. But many are not codified, and, and many I don't think we're leveraging to the, uh, to the best of our ability. So we're going to take a look at those, make sure that the ones that need to be codified with the MOA uh, will we'll do that. And um, I, I think between the three objectives, building those three up, I, I think we're going to fill a huge amount of gaps and, and really do will build a, a mission-focused business leader. Ms. Bullock, do you want to talk about line of effort two, which you are leading? So line of effort number two is tools, not rules. And this is really getting at uh, unleashing our entrepreneurial spirit as contracting mission-focused business leaders. And we have got to be able to simplify the rule set for our workforce so that they can move forward uh, with agility and with speed in order to improve the lethality and the readiness of the United States Air Force. So there are four objectives associated with line of effort uh, number two. The first one is to reimagine the Air Force contracting online presence. And uh, I think what we have out there today uh, was created to in a time of, of tight budgets, but um, we really need to increase the uh, ability of our search engine and the capability of folks today to be able to access all the information out there as quickly and as rapidly as possible if they're going to be agile. The second objective is to eliminate the mandatory procedures below the wing level, as well as flatten and align the contracting authorities. So again, we're empowering the workforce to make those smart entrepreneurial decisions to get at agility and get the capability out to the warfighters. The third objective is to enhance the instructional guidance. We have a very junior workforce, and um, 
the need to have the ability to have vetted, approved templates and guidance that can lead them. And again, they need to be able to find these tools, these this informational guidance quickly and readily and in, be able to know that it's got the good housekeeping seal of approval and it's going to uh, make sure it touches on all the areas that they need to consider as they're making that business deal. And then finally, we want to be able to build uh, dashboards to help drive data-driven decisions. And there's a lot of data. Data is the new um, gold, if you will, out there. And we just need to be able to tap into corral the data and then be able to tap into it and be able to visualize that data so that folks can make smart uh, entrepreneurial-like decisions again. So LOE2, tools, not rules, it's going to be great, and it's really going to help our workforce. And just to go back to the data discussion, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when you're when you the data is very important as long as you have good good data, right? So when folks are putting in um, that information, the FPDS and G, they need to make sure that it's good data that tracks actually what happened. Okay, and then unfortunately, Mr. Bauman couldn't be with us today. He had some travel issues. So, General Holt, do you want to talk to a line of effort three? Sure, Amber. It's my pleasure to do so. First, before I do that, though, let me let me just brag on our our executive steering group for just a few minutes. The reason why the executive steering group members are in the lead for each of these lines of effort is really because of their role in guiding and directing the full board of directors. You know, these are folks that, you know, uh, previously were, were senior center uh, contracting officials, um, high-graded uh, folks in our career field. These folks are just outstanding leaders that have earned the respect and the right to lead our force, uh, to include the other directors. And, and frankly, I need that smaller group of folks to help me lead and to give me candid advice as we go forward, because this is quite a big change in the fundamental role of what contracting does. In fact, my boss, Dr. Roper, the SAF AQ, he is so, so impressed with this shift that he actually even said to me that he'd be willing to change the name of the whole Air Force specialty code to business leaders rather than contracting. And so it's something we ought to, we ought to actually consider as we, as we revise the training and make progress in this flight plan. So now let me shift to talking about line of effort three. Uh, it's called owning the high ground, optimizing the acquisition enterprise. Uh, and this is, this is the line of effort that the rest of the world will see the most of. So all four of the, of the lines of effort are very critical to shifting to mission-focused business leadership. But line of effort three is really going to be the engine uh, that the uh, SAF AQ and the Secretary of the Air Force and the Chief of Staff of the Air Force are really looking to to start piling up the gains uh, in, in relation to our adversaries. So this is where we're going to keep track, keep the scoreboard, if you will, about the time savings and the money savings that we can drive back into lethality and readiness. So our Air Force Secretary has given us three primary objectives. One is the Air Force we need, which is 386 operational squadrons throughout the Air Force. Uh, the next one is smarter, faster, and that's, that's really where the acquisition business is going to live, not just contracting, but acquisition overall, in improving our processes to get smarter and faster at what we do. And contracting and mission-focused business leadership, specifically line of effort three, is nested under that. The last objective for the secretary is a lethal and ready Air Force. And so the way I think about this is an equation. 
if we have the Air Force we need, plus smarter and faster processes, which Air Force contracting can lead the way on, I'm convinced, uh, that equals a more lethal and ready Air Force. So line of effort three is about three primary objectives. One is efficiency. Uh, another is effectiveness of contracting. Uh, and the last one is the experimentation layer. So efficiency is about looking across the enterprise uh, through our board of directors in a cooperative effort to look not just within each PEO portfolio or within each MAGCOM, but looking across the enterprise entirely to see are there ways for us to be much smarter about the process time that we spend versus the mission we buy for it. Um, FICA has made a lot of gains already through category management where they've actually been able to move requirements around the Air Force at the speed of heat. And instead of saving five days because we didn't do a MERT, they save the entire source selection time for 78 different installations all at once. And that's the kind of systemic thinking at the enterprise level that I think that Air Force contracting, if we work as a team, is uniquely suited to advise our PEOs on and to advise our wing commanders on as we try to maximize the benefit of our business deals against the time that we spend on them. The effectiveness of contracting breaks out into two primary areas. Uh, one I call defensive counter acquisition metrics and the other one I call offensive counter acquisition metrics. The defensive counter acquisition metrics, it's an op operationalizing the term. I understand that it's a little <coughs> cutesy. But this are, these are traditional measures of contracting that are very administrative in nature. It's not that they're not important. The number of UCAs we have, closeouts, uh, the procurement acquisition lead time, looking one acquisition at a time mm -hmm. and, and looking to improve there. All of these things we have to do, we know that. But they're not going to get the Air Force any closer to smarter, faster, or lethal and ready. The offensive counter acquisition metrics are things that Air Force contracting decides we are going to measure those because they do contribute to lethal and ready. So this is where we're going to measure aggregate cycle time savings across the Air Force all at once, systemic thinking and aggregate money savings that our chief and our secretary and our PEOs and our wing commanders can reinvest. I got to tell you the truth. When we look at our, our future year's defense plan, uh, that is the funded president's budget on the Hill for the next five to six years. I, I will tell you, in many cases, we are worse off against our adversaries' capabilities at the end of that funded plan than at the beginning. And that is, that is bothersome to me, and it should be bothersome to all of us. I want to put contracting on the field in the center to look for ways to change that equation and to make our dollars go further. I don't think there's another function that's more uniquely suited to do that. The last piece of this is the experimentation layer. And this is the layer that I talk about as the cool kids. We have lots of them. We have very effective cool kid organizations, starting with the uh, Rapid Capabilities Office who have done some stunning work. But that extends also to AFWorks and CyberWorks and SoftWorks and DIUX and Kessel Run and many other examples that Air Force contracting is fully embedded with a broader team in creating. My concern with those is if we don't operate those teams as a single team uh, in, in a clear objective, then those things will just be flashes in the pan and they will not affect our main workforce or our main processes. 
So that experimentation layer, we're going to link all those wagons together with Air Force business leaders. And the things that they drive in innovations that work, we're going to drive those lessons learned right back into tools, not rules, and right back into building mission-focused business leaders. Because my uh, belief is that it's the main body of our workforce that if we can get them to be the cool kids, that's when we'll make real gains against China and Russia, and that's what we really ought to be about in support of our secretary and our nation. Ms. Richardson, would you like to talk to Line of Effort 4? Absolutely, and thanks for saving the best for last. Yeah. <laughs> um, so General Ally Trevino is leading Line of Effort 4, and I'm sitting in for her, so if, if you want to participate, please let her know. <laughs> uh, Line of Effort 4 is expeditionary contracting as a joint force capability. Um, anyone who's been in contracting for more than a couple of years is familiar with our um, awesome and amazing CCO capability and what um, our workforce, uh, civilians and military, have brought to the warfighter um, with boots on the ground or with reachback support in the past 20, 25 years. Um, this is an attempt to take it even further, to further increase the um, training and capability that our CCOs and our operational contracting support uh, workforce brings to the table for the warfighter. Under it are four objectives. Uh, they, they focus on readiness, development, integration, and proficiency. For readiness, the objective is actually to present a ready total contingency contracting force. This is making sure that we have our uh, CCOs who are trained and ready to go, that they have the right backing when they leave, and that our AFRs and AFIs are properly aligned to what they need to do once they're deployed to make sure that they can move fast and do what the warfighter needs innovatively and creatively. The second objective is development, sharpening expeditionary capabilities through training and exercises. Uh, this is where the, the rubber meets the road. This is making sure that our folks are practicing what they've learned in real-like scenarios. Uh, this is exercises and making sure that we have a SCO, Senior Contracting Official, operational uh, definition so that when we deploy, we know what to expect and our folks know what to expect. The third objective is integration. And this is enhancing our contracting C2 as a warfighting capability. Um, this is sort of a higher level thought process when it comes to um, contracting, um, looking across the whole enterprise of what we're doing in that expeditionary role. So whether we're, we're responding to a DISCA, um, a stateside catastrophe, or we're fighting a war, um, we need our folks to operate as one integrated team as opposed to bidding each other up or um, impacting, negatively impacting the other forces, the Army, for instance, um, their ability to do contracting. And then the fourth is uh, proficiency. Amplify Air Force OCS competencies. And this is the money as a weapon system kind of look at things. This is making sure that our workforce and that our senior leaders understand that when we go to war or we respond to a contingency, that the economic power that we bring to bear is sometimes more powerful than any weapon that you could bring um, to, to bear. So this has um, a broader reaching requirement, and this is making sure that 
Um, the A1, the personnelist knows that they need to track how many contracting officers are, that the A2, the intelligence folks, need to make sure that the contractors that we're using are properly vetted so that we don't wind up inadvertently funding the enemy. All four of these together will make sure that we have a expeditionary workforce that is ready to support that joint force um, in a contingency or in wartime. Mr. Block, can you talk about a couple objectives in the flight plan that you're excited about or interested in? Sure, Amber. I'm actually personally excited about two objectives. The first one is the attracting and retaining our key talent. I think that the best thing that we can do to be innovative in contracting is to get the best people we can. Now, as Mr. Robinson said, I come from one of those hard-to-recruit areas. Los Angeles has challenges. It's expensive, but in, and it, but it has hundreds of opportunities for our contracts people. So in, in addition to that, there are a number of universities we recruit from. So we can we recruit well, and we get some of the best people out of those universities, but then we have difficulty hanging on to those people as they progress in their career because of the opportunities within, the, within contracting globally, but especially within the Los Angeles area. But if we can retain those people, the people that we are recruiting are, challenge, are very good. And I'm very excited when I work with them because they're a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> the second thing I'm excited about is, re is eliminating the MPs uh, below the Air Force level. I think one of the things we can do for our workforce to retain them is that we sh if we show them we have the response, that they have the responsibility and we trust them enough to exercise it, that they will come up with innovative solutions to the uh, business uh, needs that we have. And the, I think that the way we're going to get after our adversaries in space is to uh, unleash the talent of those people by being less prescriptive, pushing responsibility down to them, and letting them go out and do their thing. Colonel Ficklin, can you talk about a couple objectives in the flight plan that you're interested in? Not to be redundant with Mr. Block, but uh, I'm excited about building the mission-focused business leaders. And uh, from all the way back from my time as a squadron commander uh, out in Arizona in 2006 to 2009, up until my experience uh, more recently working for Mr. Robinson down at Eglin Air Force Base, we've heard this from General Holt a number of times. Uh, we've got the, uh, you know, the, high, the most educated, best trained, hardest working uh, workforce out there of 1102s and 64Ps and 6Cs. Um, however, they're also the least compensated if you look across the services. And that's, that's not a very sustainable model. Um, and I saw the, the impacts of that, whether it was in my squadron or at Eglin, we see folks, and it's heartbreaking, um, they paid me the courtesy to come in and say, hey boss, uh, I've taken a job with X. But, but I would really describe those incidents as heartbreaking because it was tremendous talent uh, walking out the door. And some of the things that lured them, maybe 100% telework, I know that we're looking at those as an Air Force, but I think um, to continue to be able to recruit and more importantly, keep those very high caliber folks. Uh, I'm super excited about Mr. Robinson's uh, line of effort there and what we might consider and conceive to, to try to keep those folks on the team once we get them. The second one is in General Trevino's area, the expeditionary contracting. I go back to 2004 in Baghdad, and I would characterize that time as truly the wild, wild west. Uh, Mr. Kaiser then Lieutenant Colonel Kaiser was there with me as well for some of that experience. 
And we were clamoring for rules and structure and training. And to the Air Force and DOD's credit, when I went to Afghanistan in 2007, we, had, uh, we were better prepared, but we were, still, we were still learning some lessons that were difficult. And so how times have changed. I, I have young CGOs, captains even, working with me now, and they're clamoring for that. I, I really want to deploy, sir. I really want to deploy. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for this line of effort uh, so we, we don't lose the lessons that were learned, and, and they were very hard lessons from Iraq and Afghanistan and other places from, let's call it 2002, uh, through now, I, I, I don't want a, us to lose those lessons, and I know that we won't, um, but it's critical, and I think it's very time-sensitive to create thoughtful, deliberate contingency training, expeditionary training, so those young captains, lieutenants, and others who are going to have the opportunity to deploy in the future, that they are fully prepared, and they take advantage of, of the hard lessons we've learned. Final one, also Mr. Block touched on, line of effort, tool, uh, two tools, not rules. Um, I've heard uh, I've heard calls for you know let's streamline things, make it simpler for me. There's so many reviews. There's so much between me and the decision maker. Uh, my experience has been as you rip some of that away, some of our folks will be like, well, they're kind of like deer in headlights at that point. What do we do? They're kind of looking around, and so eliminating the MPs is a is a great piece, but then enhancing that instructional guidance. I, I think there it's a one-two punch that I think is going to pay great dividends. We strip those things away that that may not be providing a tremendous uh, value-added piece, but we also for our our younger. Uh, workforce, we have the guidance so they can figure it out. And they want to figure it out and they want to have successes, but we need to, to provide the helps there to get them to that point. Chief Master Sergeant Conger, can you also talk to uh, some of the objectives in the flight plan that you're interested in? Yes, uh, thank you, Amber. Uh, there's uh, two particular uh, line of efforts that I see as uh, inextricably linked. Uh, and that would be the build mission-focused business leaders and then line of effort number four, the expeditionary contracting as a joint leader. And particularly uh, what I'm interested in as the uh, chief of enlisted policy is that training piece, the, re the objective reimagining the training and culture uh, through initial skills and executive level uh, and its counterpart on the uh, expeditionary uh, contracting as joint capability line of effort, uh, objective number two, which is developing and sharpen expeditionary capabilities through training and exercises. Uh, this is what we do. Uh, Mr. Robinson said it. We historically have, have provided the United States Air Force the best contracting professionals out there, uh, in particularly uh, our contingency contracting officers. Uh, since I've been in uh, 29 years, uh, at the, the start of the first Gulf War, we've been involved in conflicts continually through today. We have CCOs that are in harm's way on the battlefield uh, today that are providing lethality and readiness to the combatant commander. But they need to be prepared. It's not a birthright that, that Air Force contracting is the best trained and equipped uh, we have to work at it every day back at our home units. That training piece is key. And as contracting becomes more complex, uh, we can't set, sit back and train for the last war. We have to think about what the adversaries, peer or near peer adversaries, are out there doing, preparing, uh, and we need to be one step ahead of them, if not several steps ahead of them. So. 
in units, uh, what I hear a lot is, is uh, I have too, so much day-to-day -day work. It's a real training burden. We have an inexperienced uh, workforce. Well, yes, we do, but training is our job. All the contracting units that are in major commands throughout the U.S. Air Force are Title 10, and their jobs are to you know, uh, train and equip to prepare those forces for the joint fight. Mm -hmm. So to me, these are the, the two lines of effort that I'm most excited about, that me and the, the rest of the chiefs on the Enlisted Advisory Council, uh, we work hard on developing good training for our enlisted fo forces. Uh, we have completed uh, recently a new uh, career field and education training plan, developed a OJT online guide that goes along with that that should clarify and simplify the OJT process for our enlisted forces. I'm looking forward to working with Mr. Robinson's uh, team he's putting together to look at training, not just on the enlisted side, but how can we take some of these advantages uh, and expertise that we've gained on, on the enlisted side and apply it to the civilian workforce uh, and the, the officer corps as well uh, when it comes to the continuum of training. General Holt, what should the contracting workforce expect to see from the Board of Directors in the next year? Yeah, thanks for asking, Amber. Um, there's going to be an exciting year ahead. We're going to be uh, doing a full court press as, as we are now to try to um, make sure that the workforce understands what mission-focused business leadership is all about <clears throat> and the challenges we're about to embark on. But you'll see a, um, a shift um, towards focusing on the flight plan as a a single team across Air Force contracting. So what that means is we're going to be finalizing the language, we'll be publishing the document, we'll be getting that out to not only our own workforce but for, to our mission partners, to our leaders, to help everybody understand the direction we're headed. We're organizing those teams right now and I think uh, one thing that's really notable is these teams are not just led by staff members on the Pentagon. These teams are led and executed by a cross-section of our workforce. And frankly, if there are people on teams, and I don't know how many teams that, that we will have because there'll be objectives and key results, and some of those key results may need teams of their own. Uh, they may be that big. And we have about 8,000 people in our career field, and, and I frankly don't care uh, if we have a large number of those folks represented on these teams. Uh, even down to the lowest uh, rank level. I care about competence more than rank, and, and I want to get busy in, in getting after this plan. I do recognize that it is, uh, it is a big sea change. Um, you've heard today across the lines of effort how they are integrated and integral to each other. Mm -hmm. And so they are all mutually supporting. But I truly believe that as we shift from working these problems in stovepipes to cooperating across the Air Force contracting enterprise, we'll actually lower the effort and increase the, the output and the result. I, I believe that will be the case. So we're organizing the teams. We're, uh, those teams, some of them will have to set baseline measures for themselves because what we want to improve, there is no measure for right now. And so everybody needs to be patient with that as they set the baseline so that we know uh, when we're making progress. Um, that, will be, that, will, that will take some effort. And then we have set the calendar year 19 objectives and key results. And so we will 
those teams will be going after those, those uh, key results and, and to get to those objectives. Uh, and then what you can expect to see in terms of our battle rhythm, the executive steering group will be meeting about every month uh, to go over where we are with a mission-focused business leadership. Uh, in fact, we're having a meeting uh, today. The full board of directors will be meeting twice a year. The next meeting will be uh, at something I am so excited about that we got the support of the Undersecretary of the Air Force directly for, and that is the first Air Force contracting worldwide in close to a decade. Uh, we will have that in April, and uh, we uh, commensurate with that worldwide, we're going to have an expanded board of directors where I'm going to invite all of our chief master sergeants uh, in the Air Force to join us along with uh, several other constituencies to include our reservists uh, that will be attending the worldwide to observe the board of directors in action. Again, to increase that transparency. We'll have another board of directors in December. We've already planned it. Uh, and at every time that we get together, either the executive steering group or the full board of directors, uh, we will go over this. Uh, we'll also have two development teams uh, meetings, and it's exact same people that sit in those board of directors chairs that sit in the development team. So if you're out there in Air Force contracting and you're wondering who do you need to talk to about either your contracting path or your workforce development path for you, it's, it's the director that sits on that board of directors and the development team. That's, that is your leader uh, that represents you. Um, and so I'm very excited about the way ahead. Um, as I said, I'm going to get an opportunity next uh, month um, uh, towards the end of February to uh, brief the top four leaders in the Air Force on mission-focused business leadership and see if I can influence them in, in some of the measures that we're going after to think about getting ahead of our adversaries and really exploring the why behind what we do and seeing if we can contribute to the success of the Air Force. So the Secretary of the Air Force, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, the Vice Chief of Staff, and the Undersecretary, along with all the program executive officers, will be in attendance when I brief this. Dr. Roper is so excited about this that he actually made uh, the Air Force contracting briefing the centerpiece of the Air Force Acquisition Day in February. And so he has given me 90 minutes uh, and he's told me that if I need more than 90 minutes, take it, and he'll kill something else on the agenda. That's how, that's how much support we have for the direction that we're headed. And so I'm very excited about that. So up to this point, we've, we've focused on the flight plan. Um, and now we're going to have a little bit of fun with our leaders here. Um, so I'm going to throw out some questions, and we're going to get to know them a little bit. So, so the first question um, is... If you were able to put a billboard up for the workforce on the direction of government acquisition, what word or words would you put on it? I think this is such an exciting time and we're sitting, so you, you in podcast land, um, which I'm sure is a place, are, uh, are not aware of where we're sitting. We're sitting in a little studio and one of the posters on the wall says breaking barriers and it's talking about the, the spacewalk. Um, I think for Air Force contracting that we're on the on the verge of where we're starting to break barriers and I think the excitement that um, the entire nation like kind of gathered around and the inspiration that was there to do new things try new things 
um, and really tackle those hard problems um, should be what's infecting our workforce. Um, so if I had a billboard to make for the, uh, uh, the contracting career field, and I've been doing this for 20-some a lot of years, this time now is different than any time we've had before, in my opinion. And it's different because there's a leadership team that's ready to really break some barriers. So that would be the billboard that I would do. I think the billboard is in what we're calling ourselves now. We're mission-focused business leaders, and I'm really excited about that phrase because it puts the why into what we do. I've heard General Holt, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure to listen to him speak many, many times uh, when I was at, uh, with him at FICA and now here at the Pentagon. We do not do contracting just for contracting's sake. Uh, you know, you can have the, the most eye-watering PNM or, you know, a really uh, a beautiful uh, uh, source selection plan that would make Shakespeare weep. But if it doesn't get after lethality and readiness, it doesn't get the customer, our mission partners, what they need when they need it, then it's a failed contract. And, and I think that focus uh, is, is important for our, our airmen, uh, big A, civilians uh, and military in contracting to have. To me, uh, I can, when, when it comes to retaining talent, there's only certain number of tools in my tool bag, particularly for the enlisted, that I can offer. But what I can offer you is a, a sense of, of purpose, that what you do is important. It's important for the national security. You're not going to get that in every job uh, in, the, in the civilian sector. Uh, you're going to get that in Air Force contracting. And just to piggyback on what the chief was saying and, and Renee Richardson was saying, I would say the tagline would be, um, again, I'd cite that this is a, a change in leadership and a new environment and a new paradigm. And I would just say the tagline would be, join us and let's get a move on it. So I'll, I'll end with the, uh, the billboard of ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. And that's a message not only to our workforce, but also to our leadership. Because I'm excited about seeing what Air Force contracting is going to show the way on. Um, you're going to see me uh, traveling around the country, in fact, around the world with this message. And I'm bringing uh, the classified briefing on adversary acquisition. And then I'm also bringing, bringing a town hall on mission-focused business leadership. Now, I know I won't be able to do the classified briefing in every location, depending upon where the venues are uh, for that kind of a setting. But the point behind it is to first tell everybody why uh, we're doing what we're doing in Air Force contracting, because I think that it's incumbent upon us as senior leaders to respect our people enough to tell them the why before we tell them the what we expect them to do. And then as I tell them the what in the mission-focused business leadership flight plan, I, I actually want to incite a little violence there. I want people to get upset about where we are and I want them to, to get busy. I believe if we do well with explaining to our folks the, the why and the what, I am convinced that our people will show us the how. And that's why I'm talking uh, with this billboard to our Air Force leaders as well. You wait until an Air Force contracting expert understands contracting and understands the mission. The solutions that they will come up with will rock our socks off. And we will see things coming back that we had no idea, even at the senior leader level, that were even possible. Uh, and I'm excited to see that ahead. 
All right, next question. If you were to name your career after a movie, what would the title be and why? So this is Mr. Robinson. I would say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That's the movie I would pick, and, and for several reasons. The obvious one is in my career, I've bought planes. I currently buy planes. I've rented trains, and I've bought and rented automobiles. But I hark back to the movie. If you've seen the movie, um, it's really uh, it's, it's a journey about a man trying to get home and, and what it takes to get there. And so when I look back in my career, and I'm sure you can look back in your career, it, it takes so many different paths and so many different ways um, throughout your career. None of them planned. Uh, I could not foresee 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago where I'd be today. And so it's, but it's really about the journey that we take. Um, and the journey is, uh, is the fun part. And that's the reason why you have our senior leaders that stay on as long as they do, because they're having fun in the journey, uh, buying the planes, traveling the trains and renting the automobiles maybe. Um, uh, <laughs> but the journey has been, uh, it, it's been fun and, uh, 35 plus years and I, and the journey continues and with this new business plan we got going god only knows where that's going to take us <laughs> and so but it's it's about the journey and what we're going to do to get there that i think is the most important aspect of it and the bottom line after we're done with this journey we're going to be a better uh, air force contract and organization for it so in the same vein this is general holt so in the same vein of, of selecting comedies um, I would say uh, Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. <laughs> now, I, I know that uh, many of the folks that I was stationed with uh, early in my career are laughing out loud right now, and, and I know who they are, so I know who you are, because I can probably quote the entire movie, and I probably have in one form or another throughout my career. I do like to have fun at work, but the, the Quest for the Holy Grail, it's something that is unreachable, but certainly worth going after. Uh, and in every challenge the Air Force has given me, I've always looked to improve the performance and the relevance of what we do. And we never quite get there. And that's okay. We got to keep reaching. I, I love the Michael Jordan quote, I succeed because I have failed so many times. Uh, and that I think is, uh, there's some good lessons to be learned in that. Well, uh, this is Scott Kaiser. I'll offer up uh, one other movie title. Uh, that might be apropos, uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because <laughs> uh, in that movie, uh, as you go through it, there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of obstacles, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of getting knocked down and getting back up. And and also in there, there's one phrase where Indiana uh, is asked a question, well, how are we going to get to Cairo? And his response is, well, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. And that would probably capsulize the career because once again we don't know exactly where all this is going to end we don't have to but we got to count on our uh, our friends around us our co-workers other professionals the skill levels that we bring uh, to to the uh, career and to the mission ahead and uh, just keep fighting and never never give up so what is the strangest or craziest acquisition you have worked on so Mr. Robinson just said he has a lot of them, and I'm not surprised. Uh, this is Renee Richardson. As a young captain, I was at Brooks Air Force Base, and the Air Force had a problem. It had a, uh, a litigation problem. We had about 35 chimpanzees that were aging that were sort of the legacy animals that 
we used to create a colony to have chimpanzees that we could send into space. Once we were no longer sending them into space, they sat at Holloman Air Force Base, and there were a lot of um, there were a lot of animal rights folks that were upset that the Air Force had these animals. So Congress passed a law and said that that we could divest ourselves of the chimpanzees and. Um, I had the opportunity to be the Air Force's chimpanzee divestiture officer that came with its very own warrant. What was really cool about this was learning about the chimpanzees, but it was also um, what we wound up doing is creating a team between some mortal enemies. So the, uh, the chimps were taken care of by the Colston Foundation who did research on the chimps while they were being taken care of. And we had a sanctuary that, um, that we were able to put those two parties together, which usually the, the, the animal rights folks would be um, protesting outside of the Colston Foundation because of the work they do. We were able to put those two together, and as the Colston Foundation was able to retire the animals, they had a sanctuary to go to. So from a overall picture, it was one of those places where if you've ever been in a negotiation class where uh, there's a farmer and he has oranges and the class gets divided into two groups. I'm not going to give you the, the, the punchline of that, but if you've been in that class, it's where you kind of get the two, the two teams working together to figure out what they have in common. The Air Force has so many unique opportunities, and for me, that was probably the most unique opportunity I had in acquisition. After 9-11, I had the opportunity to, to uh, deploy rapidly after 9-11 at the Combined Air Operations Center, planning and executing the contingency contracting aspects of 12 different sites, which was really stunning. It was mostly Air Force contingency contracting officers, a little over 100, that went from dirt to Disneyland in less than 30 days, and we successfully started bombing in under 30 days after 9-11, as the president expected us to do, with no war plan and no big cap contracts. Uh, that was Air Force contracting that did that. But a little deeper into the fight, I got an opportunity to go deeper in just north of Afghanistan in civilian clothes, and I, you know, I had a beard, and running around out there with a bunch of cash on my back uh, as part of a coalition team to look for airfields that were closer into the fight. Um, and at the time, the Taliban were engaged with us in northern Afghanistan. And we went to Dushanbe, Tajikistan, uh, this coalition team, and we had a conundrum because one, one half of our team had to go north, uh, which is really where Manas Air Base resulted from, is that site survey. And then one team had to go south, and I was going to be on the team that goes south right near the Afghan border uh, in a place called Kulyab City. But we didn't want to take the C-130 we had within artillery range of the Taliban. And so we were all kind of looking at each other, and I popped up and said, all right, I'll buy an airplane. And me and an Army Special Forces major uh, that knew Russian, we went down to the airfield, and we found a, a, a civilian Russian aircraft. We went back in to find who owned it. Uh, and I, we, we got into a room and we sat down and these folks were not taking me seriously, I could tell. And uh, even through the translations. And I said, I need an aircraft and a crew for five days, no questions asked. How much? And they, they said to me, uh, they laughed first off and then they said that would take a deposit of 10,000 US dollars. I pulled out of my bag stacks of 20s for $10,000 on the table. They closed all the doors immediately. They were freaking out. <clears throat> and I said, are we done here? 
And uh, we, uh, 20 minutes later, we were out on the flight line. We removed uh, six rows of seats out of the aircraft so we could get the civil engineering gear on there. And off we went. Uh, and the Army Special Forces Major and I were kept playing pranks on each other. And the, the crew there uh, doubled as interpreters uh, everywhere we went. So we had a great time with them. Uh, and as we got back, uh, as any good Air Force contracting officer would do, uh, I had the time, so I negotiated. Uh, and I actually got the, got the uh, bill down to $7,100. So, uh, so that was kind of probably the strangest uh, acquisition <laughs> I've been involved in. So this is uh, Tom Robinson. So a lot of this you see, this is level effort four, and this is what you all have to look forward to. Um, but I could tell you before General Holt then, I think Captain Holt went out, he was well-trained, uh, well-trained in contracting and contingency contracting. <coughs> Similar story, I didn't buy a plane, but I did buy a, a bordello. <laughs> so flashback to 1995, um, it was the Operation Joint Endeavor, uh, I, I went down range 10 days prior to the Dayton Peace Accords being signed. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I thought I was going on a site visit and was actually uh, uh, visited by my Telsey friends who set up airfields and told me they wanted their contractor, and that was me. And I had a clipboard. That's all I had. And so you don't ask questions, you just go. And so went down to uh, a, a base, former MIG base, and while I was there, I... I the colonel from the Air Force said, hey, we have 390 Air Force people coming down within a week and a half. You have to bed them down. Normally an easy task. You can get hotels and stuff. But the problem is the Army had been embedded for, for a little while. And uh, Log Cap was down there. And Log Cap had taken all the hotels in the 20, 30-mile radius. So uh, with me and my bag man, uh, we had become very imaginative and uh took a, a, a Rowan, a former Rowan uh, building and, and turned that into a hotel. But probably my favorite was the Bordello. And so uh, there we were with the Bordello and uh, with my interpreters, same type of thing. Uh, a lot of laughs back and forth, which makes you very uncomfortable when you have no idea what the language is. Uh, yes, we did kick out the, uh, the company there. We kicked the company out. And we also kicked out, believe it at the time, a bunch of Army Special Forces who were done and were moving back onto the installation. Uh, so I tell you that because Level F Ford is you have to be ready. And I was ready. I was trained prior to that. It was all cash. And the individual I dealt with was a formal KGB. He drove around a Mercedes. He had a Colt 45. He was loaded for bear. And uh, you know what? He pretty much got us everything we needed in the first uh, 30 days. I end the story. The Bodello ended well. We, we got into the hotel. But I end the story with the hardest job I had to do was fire the KGB guy. Because after 30 days, we actually found rental places. We found other hotels and other areas for support. But looking at a guy who's six foot four, former Russian KGB, and firing him um, was probably the craziest experience I've ever gone through. Uh, but lived to tell about it, so... <laughs> What is one thing that you know now that you wished you would have known when you first started out in contracting? Yes, uh, Chief Conger here. One, what is contracting? Uh, you have to think in uh, 1989, I joined the Air Force. I was 18 years old. Uh, I'm blind as a bat, and I was then too. So about six of the career fields I, I chose that, that I knew about and wanted to do. You know, after you take your test at uh, BMT, they say, oh, you can't do any of these. 
So, okay, you know, here's a giant book, and you read through these, you got to pick eight career fields. So I get down, I, there's, I get seven on the list, and then I get to the last one, and goes, you know, you have to pick eight. Go in there, and he says, read this one. And I read it, and he's like, well, that's, you know, negotiating, this or that. Well, that sounds like might be interesting. I was just so fortunate and lucky that uh, that uh, staff sergeant sitting at the desk said, nope, you can't just pick seven, you got to go pick eight. Uh, and then get bumped from my pharmacy class, which is what I originally was classified into, uh, and uh, had to get some medical procedures at the end of basic training. Uh, and, and I ended up going to Lowry Air Force Base in Colorado to uh, become a contracting specialist. And it was the, I can't imagine another career field. It's been a, quite a ride. I, I love every aspect of this job. Uh, but I tell you, the, the airmen uh, that were in the class, none of us had any idea what we were in for. Uh, when we, we talk about some of the craziest acquisitions on the last question, I don't really have a lot of crazy acquisitions, but I probably spent a good three years just buying commodities. And you would buy, you get PRs in every day, stacks of them, hundreds open PRs, and it'd be three post-its six screws three you know and, and that's what we did now the expectation for our airmen is so much more mm -hmm. you know we, the the we didn't have the credit card back then uh we were basically buyers and relegated to you didn't work formal contracts until you were ncos now i've got senior airmen that that have above five million dollar warrants out there you know i've got master sergeants and uh and tech sergeants that have unlimited warrants uh in the U.S. Air Force, uh, the expectation that what we expect, especially our young enlisted force, is so much greater than it was uh, 30 years ago when when I came into the Air Force. It's Colonel Ficklin, I think the one uh, the one thing that I wish I would have known looking back in time is the critical role that mentors can play uh, for us, uh, particularly for for junior folks. Um, you, we've heard many times, you don't know what you don't know. I was a little bit more disadvantaged than most because I started in FM and switched over at about the three and a half, four year point into contracting. So it was kind of a, a new person in contracting, but uh, a, a captain at the time. And uh, so I encourage all of uh, the young officers now that I, uh, that I have the opportunity to serve with to seek out the mentors. And I, and I certainly will uh, offer up myself, but it, it's, it's a personal and professional relationship um, that, that has to be developed over time. And, and granted, not everyone uh, is a great mentor. You're not going to mesh with uh, anyone who wants to be mentored. But it, I see that critical um, as O6s or senior civilians. You, uh, we have walked uh, the path for 20, approaching 30 years, and the young folks in Air Force contracting um, can, can truly benefit, and I think that they do want that mentoring, but they can benefit from our mistakes and also our successes and the things that we've learned. If nothing else, it's, a, it's another viewpoint. It's a, a sounding board, if you will. If they're at a pivotal point in their careers, if they feel comfortable, You've developed that, you've cultivated that relationship. They can call you, reach out, and say, hey, what do you think about this? And uh, that, that kind of safe environment, that trusting environment, I think there's tremendous value in that. Um, yeah, I'll answer the question too, it's General Holt. Um, I think the one thing that I, I know a little bit about now that I did not know then that I think is very valuable is how private sector business operates. 
uh, corporate decision-making, how startups are funded, where the sources of capital come from, how Wall Street operates and how those decisions are made and why, uh, and how to read a balance sheet, how to read financial statements. Um, I think if we, as Air Force contracting business leaders, if we understood more about how corporate America makes decisions, we will actually be much more capable business leaders for the Air Force. Now, having said that, our first love has to be understanding Air Force contracting and how government contracting operates. If we don't pay attention to learning that first, then the rest is pointless. Uh, but beyond that, I think we do need to, uh, as Mr. Robinson alluded to earlier, uh, as he leads line of effort one and closes that gap for us uh, with better training all the way up to being a senior contracting official, where I'm going to ask the Air Force to invest heavily in those folks to actually send them to executive education programs that the private sector would recognize as good uh, chief financial officer or chief executive officer preparation courses uh, so that we understand more about how that works. It's also essential uh, at this point in time for the mission that we understand how to grow an industry. So we have a lot of our big defense firm partners and they're very, very good at what they do. But clearly the most innovative companies in America are not them. Uh, the ones that can move the fastest are not them. And so as Air Force contracting business leaders, we also have to pay attention to how do we get the support of venture capital firms? How do we find those startups that are small businesses today, but very capable uh, with ideas of their own? And how do we start those businesses, the next Google, the next Amazon, the next Intel, uh, with the Air Force's mission in their DNA right from the very beginning? Uh, and uh, Air Force contracting is leading uh, uh, something called Air Force Pitch Day coming up here in March that the Secretary of the Air Force talked about in her AFA speech, uh, where we'll actually have the ability to listen to startups and award using a single contract and a GPC card swipe by an Air Force contracting officer after our PEO teams have evaluated uh, those solutions. So very exciting things ahead, but I wish I had known a lot of that uh, much earlier in my career, and we're going to get busy in trying to help the next generation understand that better. General Holt, do you have any closing comments from the Board of Directors to the folks listening? Yeah, I do. Um, first off, I want to say how blessed I feel to be able to get, be given the opportunity to lead Air Force contracting. I love Air Force contracting, not just what we do and its benefit to the mission, but the people. Um, I've been all over the world and I have seen our people. Um, I, I once got asked a question, you know, how, come the, uh, how can we get the contracting workforce to be more innovative? Uh, and the answer I gave was, there is not another group in the Air Force that's more innovative than our Air Force contracting community. But we've got to unshackle them. We've got to end the culture of recrimination. We've got to let some people make some honest mistakes along the way as they show the Air Force better ways to engage in business. And so I'm really blessed to, um, to be in this role. But I will tell you, I'm also humbled because the executive steering group and the broader group of Air Force uh, contracting board of directors, I'm just going to tell you, you could not find a more stunning group of leaders that are more in line with supporting not only their own uh, workforce and their own missions, uh, as they all work for uh, PEOs and, and wing commanders and MAGCOM commanders to help them succeed, but they're also all in in supporting each other. Uh, 
uh, not for personal gain. And that is something I just feel really blessed to be a part of. Um, and so uh, I'm excited uh, that, that I, I believe I have their support. I believe that uh, each of them have each other's support. Uh, and I think that the, the uh, benefits of that are going to play out in the next uh, couple of years with Mission Focused Business Leadership. So thank you very much, Amber. Well, I want to thank you all for being guests on the podcast and um, sharing your insights into the Air Force flight plan for contracting that's going to be coming out soon. Um, I think it's important for the workforce to hear and also sharing your stories. Listeners, I urge you to review the Air Force contracting flight plan. Take some time to reflect on what mission-focused business leadership means in your particular role as a contracting professional. What do you buy and what mission does it support? Find opportunities to immerse yourself in the technical and mission side of your acquisitions in order to better understand the business side of what you buy. And look out for the Air Force contracting flight plan when it's released to the workforce. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.